0: hello and welcome to the gifted life podcast where we have conversations about organ tissue and eye donation you can always find us at thegiftedlife.org I'm Lori Steele, and this is a special episode of the Gifted Life podcast. I have a co-host who's been making life happen with Lopa for almost 20 years now. (laughs) Wow. All right, Sharon Raymond, she is back on the Gifted Life. Hey, ma'am. Hey, Lori, how are you? Good. Wonderful to be here. Some people are nervous to come back, but you're happy about it, right?
1: Oh, it, I'm just ecstatic because I'm ready to push forward our August campaign of National Minority Donor Awareness Month, and I'm really looking forward to our podcast today.
0: We know COVID-19 has disrupted a lot of how we've been doing things, including educating the community about the miracle of donation, but the National Minority Donor Awareness Month coming up, the campaign, you're excited about it, and your friends that you've invited on the podcast are excited about it, too.
1: Yes, I'm super excited about it. Um uh, COVID-19 has shut down a lot of our face-to-face presentations, but we have been doing virtual presentations uh, via Zoom and also just doing our Facebook Live events with our donor families. But this is going to be a special podcast because we have three powerhouse ladies in the organ procurement organization world, and we'll be discussing how we can achieve one voice, one
0: vision to save and heal lives. I love that. All that and more, if you can even believe it, coming up on this episode of The Gifted Life. We do appreciate you listening. Sharon, you ready?
1: I'm ready. Let's go.
0: Let's do it. On this episode of the Gifted Life Podcast, lots of topics to get to. One of the topics that we'll be discussing today, though, National Minority Donor Awareness Month. And man, we hope uh, that you will participate. Things look a little different in the country, um, in the state. Uh, and so we're going to be uh, throwing out some options there for you that are easy. And we hope that you'll want to get involved. So we told you that we had a special co-host today, Miss Sharon Raymond. She was on episode 109 of the Gifted Life Share. And you ready to do this? Oh, definitely. Thank you so much, Lori, and it's great to be back. And Sharon, uh, almost 20 years of her life dedicated to helping make life happen. That's just amazing in itself. Uh, to tell you a little bit more about Sharon, she's a community educator uh, in Louisiana. She's in the northern part of our state, amazing at what she does, uh, just a, just a good human. She's also helping with LOPA's strategic planning moving forward, and she's helping to lead LOPA's equity, diversity, and inclusion work group here at LOPA as well. So plate full, huh, Sharon? Definitely. <laughs> But it's a labor of love. We can tell that there is a passion. And I know that you were excited about having our guests on today to continue that conversation, to continue learning.
1: Exactly. I am so honored to speak with these ladies today. I consider them to be true pioneers in the organ transplantation world. And it's a great pleasure to have them sit on our panel today.
0: All right. So coming up on the podcast, these three ladies uh, have said yes to being our guest here on The Gifted Life, where our goal is to educate. So if you're listening out there, our goal at the end of this is that you share this podcast because we're going to have these conversations today, and we're hoping that it's going to be a learning experience for us all. So Sharon, tell us who's on the podcast today. We have Ramona Chapman. She's the Gift of Life Community
1: Outreach Manager. She's also the Program Director for MOTEP, Gift of Life Foundation in Detroit, and also the past president of AMAT. We have Marian Shuck, who is the Director of Family Services and Community Outreach for Gift of Hope Organ and Tissue Donor Network in Chicago. She's also the current president of AMAT. And last but not least, we have Janice Whaley, the Chief Executive Officer for Donor Network West in California,
0: also a past president of AMAT. Thank you, ladies, so much for being with us today. Thank you for having us. Thank, Thank you, you for having us. I've had the privilege to listen to some of you guys on different panels, whether it be AOPO, the Association of Organ Procurement Organizations, or or others uh, videos that are on YouTube. I am excited to, to learn with you today. And I know that we're talking about National Minority Donor Awareness Month, and if we could go down and just learn a little bit about the history of what it is this month and then maybe the mission. Uh, we have an opportunity here in 2020 to make great things happen. And so um, I'm just curious to hear across the board what this month uh, means to you guys and how are we going to use that moving forward. Ramona, I'm going to start with you. I know that you have a little bit of history with this yourself. Fill us in.
2: Yes, yes, yes. Well, I'm excited because National Minority Donor Awareness Day began in 1996 when Dr. Clive Callender and then President Bill Clinton uh, wanted to have a time that highlighted the disparities about those minority population that was in need of organ transplants. More importantly, to also share that that the minority community had a special opportunity to impact that particular need. And so as a result of that, uh, National Minority Donor Awareness Day was born as August 1st of 1996 to uh, make a difference. And so over the years, Uh, We have celebrated uh, that particular day where we would talk about disease prevention and the impact of reducing the rate of diabetes and hypertension in the African-American community as well as other minority communities. It was also a day to encourage um, health prevention and awareness, a day to promote physical activity uh, to help to make sure that... We were physically active and reduce, uh, reducing obesity in, in various communities. Um, and also an important day to talk about the rates of which African-Americans, um, Hispanic, Asian-American, and Native Americans were in need of transplants. And so as a result, that day uh, became a week about 10 years ago mm-hmm. and now that day has become a month and so in the midst of it's it's very interesting that in the midst of um a pandemic when we have been uh shut in mm-hmm. that this particular month this the inaugural uh, event of this particular month is happening and so we have uh, been joined with all national organizations um AMAT, National Motep, National Kidney Foundation, AOPO to talk about using, uh, I'm sorry, and DLA to talk about using uh, our voices to uh, unite us to once again address the number one problem transplantation that has always been the shortage of donors.
1: And that brings up the point also about the disparities in the health community, especially those focused on minorities and multicultural communities. Um, Can one of you maybe speak on if that disparity has changed in any way?
2: Well, i will kind of started out and you know, my uh, colleagues could definitely join in. Unfortunately, the disparities have not changed. Um, you know, Once again, racial disparities, health disparities did not occur on May 24th, 2020. They have been there over the years. And uh, unfortunately what happened And and maybe even fortunately, in in some degree, that Mm -hmm. we have had an opportunity to focus our energies and efforts and looking at those particular disparities in a much different way. So as much as I would like to say that uh, 25 years ago, 50 years ago, those disparities um, um, have, have decreased, unfortunately, they have not decreased because we have not been able to address the issues that cause those disparities to still be prevalent um, in our communities. Absolutely.
3: Uh, Ramona, I'd like to chime in and just say, as you take a look at the history and the involvement of organ and tissue donation in our country, you know, 30 years ago, there were 10,000 people on the waiting list. Today, we have over 114,000 people waiting for a life-saving organ Uh, because of the disparity because of lifestyle, um, people of color, multicultural communities, um, make up a huge percentage of that list going forward. And so we still have a lot of things that go into that. We still have myths and misconceptions. We still have lack of mistrust for healthcare organizations. And we also still have a problem with access for people of color to be able to get the healthcare um, that they need and life-saving organ and tissue transplants. And so, yes, the the disparity is real. It continues to be real. And we wanna make sure through our parts um, as women uh, of color, multicultural communities to do what we can to help continue to dismiss those myths and misconceptions, but also to help our communities. And the communities have changed. over the last 30 years. So yes, we have um, African-American and our Hispanic Latinx community still leading the numbers of people who are waiting for organs on the transplant list. Um, Now we have different communities. So we have our Muslim communities, we have Native Americans, we have Asian Pacific Islanders, and we also have our LGBTQ plus communities who make up multicultural communities. And so they have needs as well, For organ and tissue transplants. And so, um, again, the disparities are real, they are ever evolving, and it's our role to really be able to help continue this messaging, to disseminate the message, and to really help these communities. This is Janice.
4: I would also say that, you know, the awareness, the ability to have discussions within these communities is still something that Uh, needs to be um, magnified and we have not um, been able to consistently bring in focus groups and talk about what's going on um, in our community as it relates to health. Um, We did a documentary um, about a year ago which we pitched where we had people having those type of discussions and I think that that is. Is what will help move the needle, but as I've heard from both Marion um, and Ramona, um, we should be further along than where we are. And I think that uh, the more awareness is and attention that is brought uh, to the disparities on so many fronts, I think a lot of people are now seeing um, the disconnect that there is, um, and it starts. Uh, you know, from access all the way on on down. And um, our communities are suffering from two diseases that, that allow for needing a kidney transplant, hypertension mm-hmm. and diabetes, um, and the education and the ability to reach these communities sometimes has been difficult. And we have to have the conversations. You know, there's multiple elephants in different rooms. Um, Around this topic, Um, and I think we need to be honest with ourselves and also with the public on what that looks like and how we can move to achieving better access uh, within minority communities.
1: Thank you, ladies. I think it is right now a sensitive topic and I think it needs to be discussed because one of my mantras is that if it's going to remain sensitive until you talk about it. You have to keep talking about it. And I love the campaign for this year for National Minority Donor Awareness Month, One Voice, One Vision to Save and Heal Lives. Can you tell me how, I know this theme was probably brought up before the Black Lives Matter movement and the killing of George Floyd, but it seems like it's so timely. Can maybe uh, Marion or one of you talk about how that theme came about and how we could push that forward?
3: Absolutely. Thank you so much uh, for mentioning that. Uh, that That vision came together as, uh, at a meeting, um, and we decided to put together a coalition because we recognized that everybody was doing something different to really reach the communities in terms of education and awareness. AMAC continues to lead the pack in terms of having conversations, not only with the staff and our organ procurement organizations who reach out to uh, do education and community outreach in these communities, um, but then we also wanted to bring together um, groups that had different points of access Different um, areas of opportunity, and so we put together this coalition called the National Minority Action Group. And this group, as uh, Ramona mentioned earlier, is made up of AMAT, um, the Association for Multicultural Affairs and Transplantation, DLA, which is Donate Life America, the National Kidney Foundation, MoTEP, HERSA, uh, um, uh, as well. And we get together. And we put together our thinking caps and we brainstormed about, one, how to change uh, National Minority Donor Awareness Day um, from a week or a month as different people celebrated, and how do we make it very succinct and concise? And so we made it succinct and concise by changing it to a month because we recognized one day was not sufficient to honor all of the multicultural communities. And so we got together and we made it a month um, with Dr. Calendar as well. I'm sorry, Dr. Callender is a big part of this coalition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more importantly, uh, how do we use all of our resources to really navigate um, the challenges that we see and to really speak to all of the disparities? And so we came together as one voice over a series of months to be able to put this together and to agree, as you know, lots of people in the room, you may not always agree, but this group did a fantastic job of really coming together and putting together this and coming up with the logo, coming up with the language, coming up with a charter to be able to really speak to how are we going to collectively Um, work in a way that was collaborative, in a way that would really be able to reach and provide materials um, to our communities to be able to disseminate this message and and, and to have collaterals. Sometimes, um, or a lot of times, people don't do things because they say they don't have the resources, they don't have the collaterals. Well, we took that aside and said, okay, we're going to develop collateral. We're going to give you the resources. And so we have lots of things going on from web banners, social media, uh, traditional media, things collateral that people could use from fans and things of that nature. So we really tried to do a, a fantastic job of thinking about how do we allow people to have skin in the game and how do we allow them to disseminate this message more clearly and how do we navigate this entire month and so i think that this has been a, a really great opportunity i enjoyed working uh, with everybody on the team and i think that we've done a fantastic job of really providing a way to help people celebrate as you mentioned in one voice collaboratively and to have a shared messaging.
1: And I love the fact that you don't have a date or a year on the promotional items because um, we have a lot of collaborations within our state with HBCUs and also with foundations like the Lynx Foundation. We also have some collaborative outreach with Delta Sigma Theta and Alpha Kappa Alpha, the groups that are sorority leaders and fraternity leaders within HBCUs. And we know that school here, some of the sessions have been delayed due to the coronavirus pandemic. So it's great that we can still have these campaigns to push through social media. And without having a tie down to a date, we can actually use this later on in the year. Was that uh, the meaning behind it? Did the COVID-19 pandemic play any role in the types of materials that you had available?
3: Actually, COVID did not play a part in this for the simple fact that we've been working on this since last year. And we actually finalized it uh, before COVID really hit. So it was really the genius of everyone to really make this timeless materials, classic materials uh, that we could continue to build on. So, you know, by having a succinct logo, and having all of our partners, this allows us to really grow on this. How do we build? We may change um, the collateral from year to year, but the logo and the messaging remains the same, and it remains uh, timeless and undated.
0: And so for our listeners, um, what pages do you want them to follow? What do you want them to do? What's the call to action? How can we help?
2: We have, uh, you know, there will be information on as um – Marian said, the Association for Multicultural Affairs and Transplantation on our website. There'll be uh, information on MOTEP's website, DLA's website, and uh, they can always just kind of go. We're using a couple of hashtags, um, uh, hashtag uh, NMDAM for National Minority Donut Awareness Month. We're also using the hashtag on social media, uh, One Voice, One Vision. We're asking people to put it up on their social media platforms um, and expand that. We're asking them to use it on web banners. Um, The same way that we promote National Donate Life Month is the same way that we want people to promote uh, National Minority Donor Awareness Month. And so, again, there's a a toolkit uh, that's available that we have all, again, worked together for the public to be able to download and get information um, about that. There are T-shirts that you can Order. There's hand sanitizer. There are all kinds of things. Um, I, I think the hand sanitizer probably was uh, also a part <laughs> of us uh, being smart in this. Again, in, in this particular pandemic. But you know, there. You know, there. There are stories that we want you that we want people to share. The, mm-hmm. Again, the social media graphics and the statistics. About uh, how many people that are waiting? That over sixty percent of the persons that are waiting nationally on the national transplant waiting list are ethnic minorities. So, and I'll let my colleagues uh, jump in and uh, add other things.
3: Right into Ramona's point, uh, we also conducted a webinar in May that is housed on both. Um, DLA and AMAT's website. So you can go and get information about the National Minority Action Group. You can get information um, and resources on different things that people have done uh, historically for National Minority Donor Awareness Day so that you can get an understanding of the different things that have been done. To Ramona's point, you can get all of the collateral, the hashtags, the social media, um, and how to utilize them as well and so the toolkit is very resourceful and allows everyone to just have a seamless process for how to incorporate all of the things that you can do and by no means is it just those things that we have in the toolkit people are very imaginative and they do a really really great job so not only do we want you to go and utilize these tools but we'd also like to hear how you've incorporated it and, you know, what are your thoughts and how you've been creative. And so, you know, it's a two-way street um, to be able to share uh, and disseminate information.
1: Thank you, ladies. One of the things that I've, um, I've seen since I've been working with the strategic planning process with LOPA and on our e- equity, diversity, and inclusion team. Uh, we have tried to show our solidarity, not only with our community and our minority community and how many people are waiting and trying to get them to register to become donors, but we also are showing our solidarity to our employees. And Janice, as the first African-American CEO of an OPO, which is an awesome feeling to break through. Um, you've been in that role over a year now. Can you tell us about how we can include equity, diversity, inclusion in our OPO? But also, did you see any changes when you shifted from Texas to California and how to reach out to the community and the staff?
4: Um, so you're missing one uh one uh, chapter in my life and that was in Oklahoma so I, I went mm-hmm. from Oklahoma to California and okay. I think um, initially my thoughts were um, there would be uh, quite a bit of a difference between Oklahoma and California as, as far as um, diversity and inclusion uh, was you know thought of um, but to my um, dismay, I I joined a a team that um, there was no diversity on um, the executive leadership level, um, or the senior leadership level. And um, so I asked a lot of questions. And um, over the past year, we've, we've looked at certain things, we're going to start having um, someone that is going to function in the role of, of diversity and inclusion. Uh, to help us navigate the future. There's a lot of talk and, you know, you hear people say, oh, it's hard, hard to find um, people of color to work in this business. Well, are we really looking at the right places to recruit? Are we um, engaging our team members who we have that are, are just not on a leadership level? Are we, are we developing them? to become the future leaders. And this is across the board, not just minorities, but it's a challenge sometimes for people to invest in their own team members uh, to move them to the next level. And so we um, uh, are in a much better place, um, but we did not represent the population that we serve in terms of uh, people of color. And so I admonish my team to really think outside the box with recruitment and to look at ways to identify um, people of color that can join our team. And then we also have to look into ourselves too, our, our, our internal biases that may not have a, be intentional but they're there. And so we're doing a lot of work on that end too to make sure that we, um, Unintentionally, or not um, uh, dismissing, or, or not looking at, 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 you know, diversity and inclusion. And so, um, my experience, um, I think, you know, a year and a half now, it, it's been really telling. And I will tell you that we can speak to our communities all day long, but so people look to see whether or not there's. Uh, Representation and leadership in our industry in itself, as you just pointed out, um, we have not really uh, engaged um, people of color on the senior level. Um, there's just a few of us um, that exist, and I think we need to work harder um, so that our messaging is not just um, in speaking, but also we represent uh, the people that we serve
1: across the country. Definitely. Thank you so much. Ramona or Marion, do you have anything to
0: add?
2: I would concur that, um, you know, I've been in this industry now over 20 years, and I think that um, um, I've seen the improvements occur slowly. Um, But I think um, as, uh, you know, Janice just just pointed out that uh, there are a lot of people um, of color that are able to not only as we pointed out earlier on, be a part of community education and outreach, but they're also persons that should be a part of the c suite. And I think that the um, um, Genesis comment about how uh, people look to see—you um, know—is there's a saying that says, "What you do speak so loudly, people don't don't hear what you say." And so, therefore, people are looking in the organizations to make sure that the organizations are representative. Uh, of of them and the decision-making uh, policies that occur. And I think that those are, are things that, are, again, are, are very important. So, again, when, when we talk about disparities, uh, we not only talk about disparities that are on the, on externally, we have to also address the, the, the disparities that are internally. And I'll be quiet and let um, Marion kind of chime on in here.
3: Thanks, Ramona. Prior to working uh, for an OPO, I actually spent quite a number of years in talent acquisition management, recruitment, and was able to really change, to Janice's point, to really change what an organization looks like by having um, people of color work in those organizations and utilizing tools, not just using Indeed, which is new, but LinkedIn or Zip Recruiter or Monster or CareerBuilder, but really partnering with different organizations partnering with historically black colleges and universities partnering partnering with organizations uh that that um specialize in uh people of color and um, candidates of color to really fill spots i think that the challenge is is that people have to be willing to think outside the box you cannot just put an ad in the paper and uh an all-white neighborhood and expect people of color to see that ad and then apply for a position. Nowadays, with social media being such a plethora of how we communicate, what are the things that we're doing as an industry to really think about social media as a platform for recruitment, um, to go on campuses to historically Black colleges and campuses, to partner with recruitment forums firms and agencies uh, that specialize in uh, talent of color. I will tell you a lot of times to Janice's point, when we needed to specialize and find someone for an executive level role, That is what we did. You have to think outside the box, and I think that's something our industry has not typically done. And so I applaud Janet for Janice, sorry, for even thinking about having a diversity inclusion expert for really taking a look at what does our senior leadership team look like? What does our director level team look like? What does our next level managers and our supervisors look like? How do we create a succession plan that really includes? to Janice's point, moving people up the ladder. You already have people in your organization. So take a look at a succession plan. That is something that we do here at Gift of Hope. And we really take a look at that. And so I am hopeful that all of this will change. And as a result of Black Black Lives Matter, as a result of COVID, people will really think about what are we doing to move our organizations forward and not just in opo land but across our our, our sister organizations as well um, whether it be donate life america whether it be national kidney foundation uh whether it be aatb how are we making the most and how are we promoting that we're great places to work and there's opportunity for employees of color
0: I love this. I love what's coming out. I love uh, the collaboration that seems to already be going. And if there's an organization out there or a representative of an organization, and and they're saying, oh, i really like to be a part of AMAD or MOTEP, uh, can they do that? And then how do they go about doing that?
3: Absolutely. Uh, AMAD is a, I'm the current president. Um, I have learned so much from Janice and Ramona, and I thank them for championing me uh, into this role. You know, when I started uh, at Gift of Hope, I was in the recruitment area in HR. I managed that process. Uh, Then I moved to a manager community outreach and currently as a donor. But as a result of AMAC, it's how I have been able to show my leadership. It's how I've been able to grow. And AMAC um, with Janice and with Ramona and with Bobby Howard and, you know, Ruth Duncan Bell are people who were in leadership roles who helped me get there and helped me understand how to learn um, how to be that leader. And so I'm in the role that I'm currently in. And because of that, AMAC, you have to understand, is is a volunteer organization. All of us do what we do because we have passion for what we do. Um, And it's not just the organization for African-Americans. Our organization um, works with every diverse community you can imagine, whether it's the indigenous populations, Asian Pacific Islander, as I mentioned earlier, Hispanic, Latinx, African-American, Caribbean, Muslim, um, LGBTQIA, and so what we would ask, we would love for people to come and be organizational members. We would love for people to come and be a member of AMAT to help us continue this conversation. Um, I am happy for people to call me. Um, I am the president. I am passionate about this. Um, this, the next two years, we will be soaring at AMAC. That is our acronym. Um, and I am happy to have a conversation with people. I am happy for people to reach out to me. At M. Shuck, at GiftsOfHope.org, or they can call me at 312-203-0665 so that um, we can start a conversation and we can continue this collaboration and in, in, in cross-collaborative uh, messaging and uh, so that we can reach the entire United States not just a couple of organizations who are committed to aim at and committed to us growing but this needs to be a very um, huge opportunity and let me explain at AMAC we are uniquely positioned to have this conversation no other organization is having this conversation in the multicultural community and people look to AMAC to further those conversations and get information and so I welcome as president the opportunity to talk to people to help them understand what value AMAC can bring and just how we can help your communities. Um, we have webinars, we have toolkits, um, we have committed volunteers from all across the time OPOs who give their time and energy to developing all these things um, that help us to be the unique organization that we are.
4: You know, AMAT is positioned um, to be called upon by uh, anyone in this country with regards to. Um, expertise in so many communities of color. And I think we want to, and this is something that way back when I was president, um, my vision was that whenever there was a crisis, whenever there was a challenge in, in the communities or um, uh, an issue that we needed to address uh, regarding, regarding donation and transplantation in our community, that AMAT would be the voice. They would be where people would go first. Um, And we continue to want to do that. Um, I think a lot of times people justify not um, identifying the right experts to go to, and then the messages that get out there um, just don't move uh, our communities. And so, you know, it's, it's different for Ramona, myself or Marion to uh, have a conversation with people of color. It's not the same when uh, people, um, others who who don't uh, have that similarity speak. And so that has truly been the challenge. There are even times when we're talking to families on real cases where uh, they're more open To a person of color than they would be of uh, you know of someone who is not and so i think we need to tap into identifying experts and allowing them to help formulate and charter the path moving forward Um, there's a wealth of knowledge within uh amat which i i'm still a part of and i i think it's important that when people are looking at their communities and they want to identify ways to improve AMAT should be their source to help guide them uh, uh, moving forward.
2: Yeah, this is Ramona. I would concur with uh, everything that has been said that, um, again, and if, you know, you, where you get in contact with MOTEP can also be with, with AMAT, that AMAT is the professional organization uh, that is connected throughout the transplant community and beyond to really uh, galvanize and, and, and mobilize Uh, Not only uh, talent um, on a professional level, but also talent via community. And, um, you know, just as uh, Marion mentioned earlier about Dr. Callender, when he first began MOCHAP, the whole concept was, you know, it's the first national organization that really went into the community to talk about the importance of organ and tissue donation. And one of the things that was there was that particular model suggested that you, you know, that you have people of the community talk to the community. Mm -hmm. And uh, those are persons that serve as bridges of trust. Those are persons that, um, you know, so even though sometimes we think of language barriers um, in certain communities, there's probably language barriers in all communities. And what happens with a, a diversity of talent, you begin to break down not language, but communication. And I think that's the part that's so exciting, and that's the part that I think that is so important that we see in this National Minority Donor Awareness Month, is that it's just not uh, it's it's communication. It's the ability to say, you know, um, we even though we're coming with uh, one voice and one vision, vision, we know that there are different ways to get there. And different voices are not sufficient voices; they're just voices that will resonate and, and yeah. connect with people differently. And so that's you know so we're we're really excited about that. So
4: yeah, and I, I think it's it's a learning uh, place too, as, as Ramona said. You know, we engage everyone, not just people of color in AMAT. Um, I have uh, team members who, who are not people of color that have joined because they want to learn. And I think it's important that so we engage everyone in this process. It's going to take all of us to change the narrative. And so um, being sensitive and knowing who should talk and when to talk is important. Um, but overall, everybody, knowledge is power. And everybody should take the opportunity to understand, um, uh, you know, what's going on in diverse communities today.
1: Awesome. Thank you, ladies, so much. This has been a wonderful segment to our Gifted Life podcast in our jumpstart of August One Voice, One Vision to Save and Heal Lives for National Minority Donor Awareness Month. I want to thank you, ladies, for joining us today, and your insight and perspectives have been invaluable. Thank you so much.
0: In every episode of The Gifted Life we honor a hero. Today's hero, Roshan Drumgoole.
1: We learn about Roshan from her family. Our hero has always been a hero long before now. She set the trend for all of us. No one was ever a stranger. She helped everyone, young or old. It was with great pleasure to share her with whomever needed her. Whoever received her organs, trust me, she's rejoicing. She loved helping anyone at any time. We miss her so much. May God bless you.
0: And now we pause and say thank you to Rashawn for the gift of life. do it for episode 140 of The Gifted Life. Sharon, powerhouse today. Thanks for setting that up. Oh, this was awesome. I want to listen to it over
1: and over again.
0: (laughs) Don't forget to join us September 14th through 18th as AMAT's virtual week is going to take place, and you can look for the information on amat1.org. I love that. I said one of the things about COVID-19, so many things have changed, but really, um, via technology, we're able to get so much more learning in, is how I feel. Um, You sent links to the ladies that we had on the podcast today, and it just spurred healthy conversations, just like we talk about donation, uh, but real-life world issues that everyone's going through. Uh, Not awkward, but raw, honest, open. Um, I love that. And no one has any excuse not to listen to
1: this podcast because the upcoming one in AMAT is going to be totally free. It's no charge.
0: Listen to it, sign up and share it with others. I love that. Now, guys, the uh, best place to find this podcast is the giftedlife.org. Uh, one of the ways that you can help um, spread donation awareness is by sharing this podcast. So please do that as our goal is to educate, is to learn, is to move forward together. Um, if you are not registered as an organ, tissue, and eye donor. You can do that today. Registerme.org. It's a one-stop shop. Um, The podcast. Are you into podcasts? Remember thegiftedlife.org. I mentioned that. Other links, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, your favorite podcast app. We're kind of easy to find, huh, Sharon?
1: We are super easy to find.
0: <laughs> and then I'm hoping that you're uh, rating and subscribing, right, ma'am? Subscribe and sign us and rate us five stars because we are the bomb. Oh, she said five stars. I like Sharon. Okay, we're going to keep <laughs> uh, keep having you on this podcast, girl, on social media, um, on Facebook. We're the Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us both on Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. And we do want to hear from you. Email your questions. Email your um, you know topics that you'd like us to cover. Info at the Gifted Life life.org uh, we want this to be a back and forth a volley right Sharon that's how we learn we talk about yes. it and don't forget to request the presentation because we offer free education throughout the
1: entire state of Louisiana so if you want to learn more just come to lopa.org's website and sign up and request a speaker
0: all right Sharon we appreciate you taking the time out to co-host today on this podcast and we hope that uh, if we ask you again you'll say yes I'll think about it, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. You know our ask that we put out there. We want you to go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're one voice. We're one team. And you're a part of that. All right. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. This is a production of LOPA, or the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sarah Blakemore. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Caraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranum. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.